Yeah, and I think that part of the pandemic is also causing, I think, us to think about our concepts of relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are we engaging with our neighbors? Mm-hmm. You know, how are we engaging with our friends? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we engaging with the people we work with? How do we come back? Yeah. Yeah. You know, from this experience as mm-hmm. well. I feel, yeah, I feel those same, I feel those same thing. Hey everyone, welcome to the Let's Be Real podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Yunus, and I believe we need all the help we can get when it comes to living a full and free life. Here you'll find honest truth, practical tips, and perspective changes that help you embrace the miracle that is your life. It's an in-process conversation that's going to be unfiltered, and it better be fun. Let's get real together. All right, you guys, welcome back to Let's Be Real. This is a highly anticipated interview, perhaps not for you guys, but for me and Kirsten, Kirsten and I, Kirsten and myself, we have tried, I believe this is our third try to get this interview going, but y'all, we're committed to the people. We want to make sure that you know about what is happening in this world that is very cool that Kirsten's been working on. Kirsten is the field manager for One Small Step which is a part of StoryCorps. And we're going to talk to you guys all about what that is, why it's so cool. I love this like StoryCorps kind of manifesto that is that StoryCorps is about helping people feel more connected and reminding us of the inherent worth of every person and every story, which is a really, really cool thing. So Kirsten, can you tell us, first of all, um, a little bit about you and kind of your role in this whole movement, this nationwide movement that's actually been going for quite some time, uh, but it's kind of taken like this new turn in this particular environment that we're in. So Kirsten, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So hello, everyone. I'm Kirsten, and it's great to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, and what I would say about myself, you know, one small step, we always ask people for like a short bio and you think I would be better about do, better at doing it for myself, but I, you know, there's struggles. nothing <laughs> as hard as a short bio. I mean, I truly ask people around me. So I should say this, Kirsten, um, what would your best friend say about you? Let's just do it that way. It's just easier. Uh, well, I would say, um, so I am from Illinois, but grew up in Texas mm. Um, so I am the world's most opinionated vegetarian about barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like, why Um, is she so invested in this conversation if she doesn't eat it? I'm still invested. I'm still invested. Have you always been a vegetarian or do you have firsthand experience with the barbecue? I do. Um, I became vegetarian in like 2014. Um, but I will occasionally taste some brisket to keep my chops up. You do. You so cannot can, weigh. You can't weigh in if you haven't, because you can lose. Like I was talking to a friend who's vegan, and she's like, "I lost the taste of cheese," and I kept convincing people that the vegan pizza cheese was really good. Non-vegans would eat it and be like, "It's not good." <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I as as all Texans do, I value that identity very strongly. Um, I went to the University of Chicago where I majored in anthropology Mm. um, and focused on what I like to call contemporary American culture. That is, you know, everything we see around us and, Mm. you know, the lives that we are living in the United States. 
Of course, um, I immediately know what anthropology means. Just kidding. Can you please tell people what an anthropology means? <laughs> what does it mean? It's tough. Besides no, the clothing store. <laughs> I didn't even know. I also love anthropology, the clothing store. Okay, good. Um, I did not know what it was till I went to college and took an anthropology class. But um, anthropology is the study of humans and culture. Mm. Um, and so typically when you study anthropology, you are learning about um, other cultures that are okay. not your own. So like Margaret Mead went to all these islands in the South Pacific and studied, um, you know, tribes that were, of course, mm. very different from the environment she grew up in. Um but there's kind of a, a growing sense that, you know, we can tell our own stories. We don't have to have what they call anthropological distance. Um, and, you know, you can understand your own culture through this anthropological lens, which is, you know, I always like to describe it. This is a common anthropology saying, making the strange familiar and the familiar strange. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> Me too. It's That's a favorite. great line. Also, the anthropologists are having a heyday right now in the American culture. Like, do y'all get on a Facebook group and you're like, hey, everybody, <laughs> all wish. of the familiar is now strange. <laughs> no, and like, I actually, so in college, I studied um, uh, when bad things happen in the United okay. States. Um, I studied people that prepare for the apocalypse, I studied wars, okay, um, and I studied mostly, most significantly, nine eleven um, mm. was my big research focus as an undergraduate. Um, what period of history most reminds you of right now, or like when you think about the things that you've learned about, what comes to mind for you? You know, I'm the worst person to ask because I study anything that's after like 1990, which is when I was born. <laughs> um, was Waco you know, after you were born? Did you study Waco? I did. Yeah. I was I know just curious that. since you're from Texas. I was just interested. I mean, I, I was, yeah. No, I think, I definitely think um, that period of history, the 80s, mm. you know, planted since like 80s and 90s, planted the seeds for where we are right now for sure. Oh, but yeah. it's all connected. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And we make the same mistakes and the same successes over and over. Oh and that's, gosh, you know, so why true. it's cool to study. You know, it's important to study history. Mm-hmm. It's important important to capture history as it's happening, which we can go back to later with StoryCorps. But, yeah. um, and it's important to see yourself as a participant in history, mm. um, which is what I tried to do as an anthropologist. Oh my God. <laughs> so cool. Okay. So I'm making the connections between what you studied and where you are now, but take, take the people, take the people along <laughs> the journey. So your major paper research paper was 9-11. Then you graduated, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And were you like, now what? Like most of us are like, and then I worked at Starbucks. But it sounds like that didn't happen for you. Tell me about um, the next step. I was also the world's luckiest anthropology major. <laughs> um, that, that's one of the ones that's thrown around is this unuseful thing. But you know, it's actually super applicable to many careers people have. But for mm. me, my graduate, my undergraduate thesis was about um, material culture at the 9-11 memorial site. Okay. Specifically, uh, you may have read about the 9-11 memorial gift shop. Mm. Um, I wrote about that for my thesis. Wow. Interesting. Um, why that's a thing, why people feel drawn to bring objects away from this site of pilgrimage. Mm. And that research, I came to New York for the very first time. Um, I'm calling from Manhattan, New York right now, by the way. Um, but I came to New York for the very first time in 2012 to do that mm. thesis research. Wow. And I, I talked to a bunch of 
staff members at the yet to be opened 9-11 Memorial Museum um, and interviewed them for my Mm. thesis. And then, you know, as I was writing it up, got an email from them saying, hey, there's a position open. You should really apply as an undergrad who is one of the only undergrads actively studying this topic. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, And I was invited to apply and I got the job and I actually was hired and started before I graduated college. Gosh, I mean, your parents must be like, we raised that girl right. She had a job before she even graduated. She's looking around at their neighbors with their kids in the basement. They're like, (laughs) not this one. And they actually raised two employed museum professionals. Uh, My sister was also a American studies major who has had consistent employment in the oh museum. Oh my gosh, field. I'm fascinated. I, I feel like I want to go down a rabbit trail that is not some, what this podcast is about. We but have like, some hot tips if there's any museum professionals in the audience. Uh, now, are, your parents, are your parents aligned also in that field of work and field of study? Okay. Um, I, d- yeah, that's how we got this way. Um, okay. My mom was a librarian. <laughs> how we got this way. Yep. No, my mom was a librarian. Um, she was uh, home with us for most of our growing up, but worked part-time in our local library. So we spent a ton of time there. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, working with the staff and volunteers as a, as a preteen um, and just like, you know, public service as a concept yeah. um, was very much instilled in us. I still have a problem where I am not motivated by money at all, <laughs> which has gotten me into trouble. <laughs> yeah, when um, you have to start paying actual bills, you're like, oh, I guess there is like a thing with the money yeah. and the way, you know, the exchange of goods and services that I need to be a part of. And I had a short stint in sales. And when oh, you're not gosh. money motivated, <laughs> I was like, you're like, tell me your whole story though. And let me just land this anthropologically. I can't even say that word. Anthropologically. No, that's not it either. Anthropologically. Anthropologically. Let me land this for you. And the person's like, I don't want to buy anything from you. Yeah. No, I, I made great friends with my clients on very, very small deals that were cool. And uh, I did my best. But, uh, but yeah, so public service and um, supporting like nonprofits that you know, make the life of a small town um, richer and more productive and, and a cooler place to live. Well, um, and I love also just the, what I assume would be, and this will take us over to one small step, but I assume also, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that your family culture was one of learning, curiosity, like landing life within a larger story. I mean, if your mom is a librarian and you're surrounded by books and I'm assumed you guys loved books and it's just such a cool nod. I mean, just for all the regular moms and dads out there listening who are just like, man, I am slogging along. Like sometimes just the faithful showing up for certain things that are important to you, like what that can do for your whole family line, you know, just Mm -hmm. like generations. Is that accurate to your experience? And no, how has absolutely. that affected you now? Like, no, definitely. Uh, we grew up truly surrounded by books, and always had our hands on books. We were just talking about this on Mother's Day. Like, mm. my favorite thing to do as a toddler was pulling all the books off the shelf and like <laughs> laying on them. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> like, and so like, I we love were books so, so much. Yes, we were so comfortable with them. Like, it wasn't like, oh, don't rip it, don't touch it. It was mm. like, these are your books; they're yours. Yes. yes. Um, except for library books, which you do have to be careful with. 
but um, yeah. <laughs> public service announcement from Kirsten's mom. Please be careful Important with your Laura library Madsen books. Says. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that and then the other thing that my parents, especially my mom, did for me was just you know treating us as individuals mm-hmm. with you know and. I don't ever recall being talked to like a kid mm-hmm. <laughs> and that my opinions and my views were valued, mm-hmm. um, which turned me into a very opinionated adult. And, <laughs> and that's why I, I think I've seen firsthand the need, you know, to, to connect to people yeah. and like being listened to mm-hmm. is something everyone needs. Mm. Um, but yeah. And awesome. I, I, I also have to plug that my dad uh, worked for Radio Shack for almost my whole life and so plug for that. That made me respect that part of American culture also. I was going to say, <laughs> let's just let's just give a shout out to the Radio Shack. You know, back in the day, you know, Radio Shack is a big deal. I think I got my Sony Discman there. It was a big yeah. t- No, not my Discman, my Sport Walkman that had the strap for my arm so I could run with it. I mean, those were the days. And everybody who is too young to know what we're talking about, you owe Study your history. Your, yes, you do. <laughs> and you truly should listen to your elders because you don't even know how good you have it with the, with the watch, the Apple Watch and the wireless uh. headphones. It's a joy. Really, it's the miracle. The miracle of exercise yeah. is AirPods <laughs> and an Apple Watch. Um, okay, so again, we digress. Let's go. So take us to how you got to StoryCorps and what you do there and why you're passionate about this project. Yeah. So my, I, I will also say that I've been like reflecting on this in the lead up to this interview. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, I've been talking about StoryCorps for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like I I found like Facebook posts from high school where I'm talking about it as something that's cool. And I was like, like, it must've been pretty early in like Joy Course History, it was founded in 2003, and yeah, I was I was on it. <laughs> and by the way, guys, um, I'm also a huge Joy Corps fan. So this whole like I'm geeking out about this, and there's probably like <laughs> eight of you who are also that way. The rest of you are about to discover a treasure trove because, mm-hmm. and part of it is because as a communicator, I've used Story Corps clips in my teaching and communicating because it's these beautiful oral histories really is what it is of, of people's lives. And you're going to tell us a little bit more about that. But if y'all don't know, now you know. You want to know what StoryCorps is. And you hear it on NPR, right? Is that right? On yep, Every Friday morning on Friday Morning Edition, you'll, okay. hear, you'll hear a StoryCorps clip okay, from a story our archive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as a fellow fan, along with you, <laughs> you get to work there. So tell us, yeah, you've known about it for a long time. And tell us about your journey into this project. Yeah, so I, I had started working at the 9-11 Memorial Museum back in 2013. Um, and my job there was I helped to create the memorial exhibition, mm. um, which was the section of the museum dedicated to the 2,983 people that I remembered there. Mm. Um, and if you've been there, um, maybe some people listening have been there. Um, the exhibit really has kind of what we call the profile for each of these people. Mm. And I worked on those profiles. Wow. And so I was looking at you know, family photos and mm. letters and artifacts and belongings of these people. And the most important thing I was doing was I was listening to oral histories mm. um, that related to the people. Um, and those came from all, all kinds of sources. We had staff oral historians that were doing those interviews. Um, but we also had... StoryCorps interviews that mm. came from the September 11th initiative, mm. um, which ran for many years um, following the attacks. Um, and so I was sitting there at my in my little cubicle every day, <laughs> listening to um, 
family and friends of these people who had died, um, you know, talking about their lives and what they were like. Mm. And it was a StoryCorps interview. Most StoryCorps interviews are, you know, between people that know each other and love each other very, very like know each other very well and love each other a lot. Mm. Um, and so it was the, the StoryCorps style was just these simple questions mm. that kind of led people down these really interesting paths um, that you wouldn't expect. Mm. Um, I think we often struggle to talk about people that we've mm. lost. Um, and we kind of lean on on these common phrases that we've heard in obituaries and mm. we've heard other people say in condolence cards. But the StoryCorps model really got people to go to the, you know, the core of who these people really were and the impact they made um, on their families and on the mm. world. And I, I respected that so much. And I was so, you know, I listened to hundreds of hours of these interviews mm. um, and made, you know, hundreds and hundreds of little 30 second, to, like 30 to 60 second little snippets Aww. to give people visit visiting the museum a, a little kind of taste or a little sense um, of the larger interview. Because mm. you can't sit in a museum and listen to 2,983 hour long interviews, you know. Yeah. It was kind what of this a, effort. What a sacred work, Kirsten, to take. And I mean, you you were, you know, just as, as we know, when we're in that role of editing, creating, we are shaping an experience. Um, was it emotionally taxing or was it fulfilling? What was the feeling that you had? It was both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was incredibly meaningful every day, which is not something that most people in their early 20s can say about their mm-hmm. job. Um, but it was also this, like you said, it was sacred, which comes with a, a lot of pressure, yeah, um, and a lot of you know emotional difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, I I cried at my desk most days, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. It wasn't negative crying; it was just listening to something that was sad. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was really emotionally difficult. Um, I actually, I will say, experience. Uh, what is called secondary post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder, mm-hmm. Um, which is something that is usually experienced by you know ER doctors yeah. and therapists mm-hmm. um, who hear about really traumatic material. Um, but you know it can it can seep into the nonprofit world as well. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so I do um, ha- deal with that to this day. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it's it's very much under control. Um, I can't watch action movies, <laughs> um, but other than that, um, but yeah, it was really emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it helps me support others that do this type of work. Yeah. Now that I have that experience kind of under my belt, mm-hmm. um, I know how to, I know I can tell when someone needs a break. <laughs> yeah. I can tell when I need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it was really emotionally difficult, but a really valuable thing to have experienced and, um, has helped me support others. Like I, I was at that job for six years and I'm mm. a few years out from it now. Um, but it, it changed the way that I see the world in yeah. a huge way. Oh my gosh. I, and, oh, I'm, I mean, <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard from families, but just as a mom, I just want to say like as a mom and a human being, but like, thank you for doing that. Because as a mom, like a 30 second clip in a museum is like one, this is like one step that helps me 
try to teach my kids about the world. I might be able to listen to a 15 minute clip, you know, but like just that work, I do want to just tell you thank you um, for giving that work to the, to the, to America (laughs) truly. And um, yeah, I'm really moved by that. Thank you. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you did all that work. It changed your worldview. Then you found yourself moving towards... How did you get to StoryCorps? Yeah. So I will say uh, that stint in sales came directly before StoryCorps. And it was actually in travel advertising. And so... (laughs) I hope uh, you got to travel because that would be the only thing good about that. (laughs) I did a little. I came back from a business trip to the Pacific Northwest on March 1st, 2020. Yes. (laughs) Um, I, I, I was also in the West on actually March 16th, 2020. I was Ooh. like, it's the apocalypse. The San Francisco airport's empty. It was oh, so gosh. crazy. It was crazy. No, but no, I, I did a, I worked at Atlas Obscura, um, which is a travel website um, and was unfortunately laid off mm. due to the impact on travel. Um, and so I was laid off during the pandemic mm. at home in oh, New man. York City, which was frightening. And... I was looking for like, you know, being unemployed as I'm sure others listening have experienced, especially this year. Um, I had never been unemployed before. Yeah. And so it was very scary for me and um, stressful, but mm-hmm. I was looking for, I actually worked with a career coach um, to kind of talk me through mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking We're for big like... big fans of coaching around here. So I yeah. get it. Yes. That's awesome. I'm glad you found someone. Yeah. yeah, that must have been really stressful. I'm just thinking you got your job before you even graduated college. Like you literally were have been on this sweet journey. And then obviously we all know that what suffers in times like this is the arts, public service, like that kind of stuff really does. Although I I well, I don't know what you would say, but I think I've seen another side of humanity where there's been a little, you know, more in the work I do in nonprofit work, there's been a lot of generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you had to work with a career coach. You're not at the travel website. Tell us more. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's hard after having that like super meaningful experience in my early 20s of doing like it's, I always say it's probably the hardest job I'll ever have. And it, it might be among the most important jobs I'll ever do. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to measure up to that. Yeah. And so I was like looking and looking and looking for like three months. And this position at StoryCorps came up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, StoryCorps, I've loved them forever. And this, this position sounds and this project sounds like so moving. Mm. Uh, and I jumped on it and here I am. <laughs> here you are. Okay. Tell us what one small step is for those who don't know. We told you guys a little bit about StoryCorps. Usually people that know each other really well, capturing mm-hmm. oral history. There's usually a theme I feel like that ends up emerging and then you guys catalog by theme as well. So folks can go, we'll put this in the show notes, but you can go and like listen to stories, really, really cool, but, um, or listen to them on Friday mornings. So tell us about One Small Step though. So One Small Step, like you said, is a little different than what StoryCorps usually does. And One Small Step is all about helping people bridge this highly polarized, highly negative political atmosphere mm-hmm. that we've all found ourselves in, in the last you know five or six years. Um, it is about connecting two strangers who differ politically in their political views um, to have a simple conversation about their lives mm-hmm. and the experiences that led them to be the people they are and to hold the beliefs that they hold. And so it's connecting people. It's like a 40-minute conversation, 40, mm-hmm. 50 minutes. 
and you're sitting down together. We're actually doing all of our interviews virtually because of the pandemic. Um, but in the future, hopefully, we'll get to do some mm-hmm. face-to-face ones. Guide yourselves through a conversation about, you know, the experiences, you know, like I said, that shaped your life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and making some really interesting connections. I know mm-hmm. that Nicole had a, a one small step interview she can tell you guys about. Yes. Um, um, and I shared a little clip of it in the intro. And that's really why Kirsten's here is because... I was so moved by the experience and just I loved the idea of for those of us who've been feeling like, what can I do about this, you know, or like just not sure which step to take. This really is, I mean, truly it is one small step. And I'm you guys know I'm based in Richmond and Richmond is one of y'all's focal areas. Mm -hmm. So we've also dropped a link below where you can sign up to do a one small step interview as well. You guys heard my interview. Obviously, when you go into it, you don't know what differing beliefs you have. Like it's not like obvious. So what ended up happening is my, you know, my friend on the uh, my new friend and I connected on a variety of levels and it wasn't till really the end of the interview that it became clear that like my you know faith background was what was so different and she had some expectations of what that would look like that I think ended up not being the case and it was just beautiful it just was a really cool opportunity it was also a great chance to be uncomfortable Uh, For those of us who are very used to like our world, which is most of us as adults, that's what we do. (laughs) We should just build a world around our comfort. And it was a chance to like, hey, if you're a person who's posting stuff on social media or you're a person who's saying that you want to connect, but if you want to really do something about it, this is one small uncomfortable step that you can take. And you may find it's a lot more meaningful and fulfilling than you might expect is what that was my experience of it. And um, I'm wondering, Kirsten, if just as we get ready to wrap, if there's a couple of stories that you've experienced over this last... So how long have you been at it? A few months? or Yeah, I've been here since the fall working on this project. Okay. Mm -hmm. So almost a year of just being well, diving into this. Anything you want to share with us um, about your experience so far? No, I would say the the most interesting thing is that so many people have that experience of going into these conversations and then coming out like, wait, we're not so different. <laughs> and we're like, yes, that's that's the point. Mm-hmm. We're not, are we? Yeah. Um, I think we've we've come to like fear talking about politics so much that we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. We we see each other as these kind of faceless and identityless, you know monsters on the mm-hmm. other side and we don't acknowledge that every person we're fighting with online every person in our family that we kind of butt heads with at thanksgiving you know everyone's an individual that has mm-hmm. their own you know they've lived their own life they've come to their own conclusions and they're a person mm-hmm. <laughs> and you come out of the interview and you're like oh right we like that's just my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like because we, we are working in four cities, Richmond, Shreveport, Wichita, and Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And we're connecting people in those cities with their neighbors um, to kind of, you know, start bridging that divide one person at a time. Yeah. And hopefully it's gonna start working. <laughs> and if any of you guys are and it's it is a small step, but it's mm-hmm. like that's it's this is a big thing and we can all take a small step. So if you guys are in Richmond or any of those cities. And or anywhere across the country. Oh, now you it is everywhere. I thought I saw we're, that. We're focusing we on those four cities, but we welcome anybody who's interested to sign up. 
and you fill out like it's basically like a beliefs questionnaire mm-hmm. and you can also is it true that you can also have a conversation with someone you know yep absolutely yeah. um you so can, like if, if you're you... like my uncle jack and i need a facilitated conversation we are not able to have our own conversation that could be interesting if that's mm-hmm. important to you yes. or you can just yeah fill out this beliefs questionnaire and it then you guys do the work of like matching folks and there is a facilitator. I just like think that's important for people to know if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm an introvert or I'm socially anxious or what will I talk about? All of that's taking care, like really taking care of for you. You're really Mm -hmm. just investing about an hour of your life. Um, And then Kirsten, tell these guys what happens to the interview because this is really cool to me as well. Yeah. So once you have your conversation, um, if, you know, it can... You can edit that out. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Once, once you have your conversation, um, if you would, nope, I see mm. permission. Yeah, (laughs) if you get permission, both agree, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, All of our story core conversations are archived in the Library of Congress. So so cool. You can be a part of history, everybody, Mm -hmm. if you want to. And you get to decide at the end of your interview Mm -hmm. if you guys are both comfortable keeping it. Then it goes to this archive. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're basically a published oral historian at that point. (laughs) Pretty much, no. And it's it's a cool thing. And it's, you know, a really interesting way to capture this moment in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a hopeful measure, a hopeful wish that it won't always be like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we'll look back on this as a particularly divided time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've got a lot of healing to do. And we yes. hope that these conversations can be part of that. Well, and this is to me, I mean, one of the things that I'm so drawn to is the, yeah, you think back, looking back on this, I mean, my hope and desire is that we would see that redemptive thread of like, very different people coming to the table for conversation. So in the midst of the history, which that would be a whole nother conversation about the way history is told, right? But in the midst of however the history is told, to actually see these like, see or hear, I should say, these moments of people who are very different, who are really trying to understand one another. And you said at the beginning of the show, we all need to be listened to. And that is a real, it is a real gift to have an open-hearted listening posture uh, with someone who's very different than you. So I want all of you guys to take this step. (laughs) Some of you who are listening and are very intrigued by this, I really do encourage you to... um, And you don't have to be... I'm also going to say this. I hope it's okay. Kirsten's like, no, it's not. You don't have to be like super passionate about your political... Like You don't have to have a stance on every single thing to fill out the dang questionnaire. This isn't about having to say like, I'm squarely in this camp. I believe in all of these things. And if you are, that's great. But if you're just like not, it's okay. There's a sliding scale that you'll be Mm -hmm. able to kind of engage with. So it's okay if you're not sure, because I'm going to raise my hand first to be like, I'm not sure. I am very strong about certain things, but there's many things that I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So that's okay too. Yeah. And it's important also to say that these conversations aren't debates and it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, putting your drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm on this side, you're on that side. It's really earnestly a conversation about your life and what you've gone through. Um, and you know, the experiences that you've had, um, and your, your experiences living in a divided time. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not like, when is a time that you were right and someone else was wrong and, look at your partner in the eye and argue. Like, no, that's not what it's about at all. And the facilitator's there to walk you through the whole process. And they do, they do always end up being, 
you know, really, really nice conversations between strangers and many, many people end up exchanging contact information mm-hmm. at the end because they want to continue to talk. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on Let's Be Real. We're going to close with another clip from my interview with Tara. And um, we also in the show notes right now, you can just click right on that link if you want to go check out the questionnaire for One Small Step. We, I just encourage you guys to do it. It's If you want to be a part of that more redemptive narrative in this moment in time, come jump in with us. It will be awesome. And let me know if you do. Kirsten, you have been a delight. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank for you doing what uncomfortable. I know this is uncomfortable for you and oh. you did amazing. So <laughs> I know you like to stay behind, like not on the microphone. I am so. a behind the scenes person that is true. <laughs> Thank you for stepping up to the microphone. You yes. have enriched all of our lives just today with your own life. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's fun. Loved how you described your experience spiritually in your life of uh, with the Lord or with God, like that you wanted to come home um, and the concept of home, because that's always been very close to my heart as well, is like, what does it look like to help people find their way home? I, I appreciate that and I appreciate our, our time together. One of the pieces that I, I particularly appreciate is that, and, and I will say it was one that, that challenged me or challenged my, pre, my you know, any, any notions I had is you you described yourself as an evangelical Christian and you also describe yourself as having a mystical journey of questioning. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, I don't, you know, that those are not two that are often associated in public dialogue when it comes to, you know, discussions of, of organized faith. And I love hearing that from you because the way you spoke of it was truly personal and authentic and vulnerable too. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Let's Be Real podcast. If you have a question for the show, you can send it to me at Nicole at NicoleUnis.com. And hey, if you're enjoying this, we'd love for you to like, subscribe, share it with your friends, pass it on, shout it from the rooftops, whatever you feel like doing, because the reality is let's get as many people getting real as possible. Talk to you soon.